If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Rum in the California Sun, we explore the intersection between spirits and location and how new brands can originate from the unlikeliest of places, such as Rum from Southern California. Today's guest is Dan Olson, the co-founder of Hook Hand Rum Company, which was started in 2017 in Dana Point, California. Dan is also a marketing and advertising executive with decades of experience, having worked with such brands as Range Rover, Virgin America, Shell Oil, Disney, Coca-Cola, and Johnson & Johnson. Dan, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, guys. Thank you. So happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, you know, I am, I've been living in California since I was in second grade. So I'm as close as getting to a native, I guess, without being born here as you can get. Uh, but I worked my whole life here in the California market. I started off out of college. My first job was starting my own agency. And, uh, and, and uh, we, with a degree in economics, I decided I wanted to go that direction. And I, through my career, I ended up working with uh, WPP, which is a very large agency, and I was the regional director for both uh, for the Western U.S. for both YNR and Wonderman. And in, during that time, I think one of the things that really was the most beneficial to me was I got to work with some of the best CMOs in the world. These are world class marketers, and the things that they taught me and the things that I learned working side by side with them has really equipped me here for what I'm doing in my own company. And it's I learned the value of a great brand and and the discipline it takes to do that. So. Um, so that's just a little bit about me. Well, Dan, I love your story and I want to unpack this a little bit. But you know, first, we have to say that historically, spirits and their origins can be tied to location and geographies, right? You have vodka in Russia, you have bourbon in the USA and uh, Kentucky, you have tequila, Mexico, you have sake, Japan, you have rum in the West Indies, and the list goes on. Um, and over the centuries, that's changed where some spirits have been created governing bodies to protect their spirit, like tequila in Mexico. You really can't make tequila anywhere else other than Mexico. Obviously, outside of spirits, category of like champagne in France and all of that exists, but other spirits, not so much, where you find a lot of companies that are sprouting up around the world that uh, create vodka, for example. So... When you think about rum, you know, you typically think about islands, the tropics in some cases. What was it about rum that you thought 
would be a great idea to start a rubber company in Orange County? <laughs> well, there's uh, a few reasons for that, actually. Um, number one, I think, was uh, so me and myself, I'm, I'm a person that likes interesting things and I like unusual things. And so I kind of have been a seeker of the unique. So I, when I can tell stories about it, I like being in my, my background, I like telling stories and whatnot. And so um, I was, you know, started off college, drank beer, then I moved on to the brown spirits and I was drinking bourbon and tequila and stuff. And then a friend of mine gave me a, a bottle of Havana Club rum from Cuba. And it was like, wow, that's different. That's that tastes great. And so I went through that bottle pretty quick, drinking it on the rocks. <laughs> and I started to understand that that rum has this tremendous history in it. It's like it is it's both fantastic and dark at the same time, right? And and so and, and it's very tied to the US. So I love the fact, being a storyteller, of the fact that that rum has all this nature to it, right? Uh, there, we can talk a little bit about how that actually occurred because it was like at one point rum was the number one spirit in America and then it got a couple of gut punches and, and it kind of took it out of the game and it changed the game. So rum ended up being really in the Caribbean where it really got refined and, 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 and created to the rums that are today. Well, it's interesting because when I think of rum, uh, I think of it differently than I think of some other spirits. And maybe that's a bit of an education to the public over time that has happened. When you're young and, you and you're drinking spirits, you're usually drinking in a mixed drink. You're drinking a vodka tonic. You're drinking a screwdriver. Uh, you know, if it's tequila, you're drinking tequila with salt and lime and, and, and shots. Um, when you're drinking scotch or, or bourbon or cognac, you're sipping it. You're really getting to know it, right? And then, and then slowly tequila became a sipping alcohol and vodka became refined and, and the taste improvement became a sipping alcohol. When I think of rum, my first thought goes to the Caribbean, goes to a pina colada. The only time I ever drink rum is, you know, when your first day on the beach, the first thing you order is a pina colada when you're on vacation, right? <laughs> but I'm sure rum in the same way, a high-end, high-quality rum like what you put out, is probably something that should also be enjoyed on its own and sipped. And that's, that's a, a different view than some of the other alcohols, correct? Oh, absolutely. And what's interesting is all the spirits kind of started in a crude way, right? They all, you know, were, were made in some pot still somewhere and they were they started off and then they went through a time where they became more viable and more widely accepted. And there was a premiumization of it. So, and all the spirits have done this. There was the premiumization of vodka, you know, where you had absolute come out. They started putting the flavors to it. Then then bourbons started with the craft bourbon niche distilleries starting up everywhere. And, and then tequila. And what's interesting, you talk a little bit about the geography. It's like, what, what makes a spirit, you know, being able to be called what it is sometimes is controlled. Like in, in Jalisco, they, they say that it has to be made with 100% blue agave, you know, blue ever agave uh, plant and has to be made in Jalisco. In bourbon, it's, it's the, it just has to be made in the U.S. It has to be used corn to be a bourbon. A lot of people think it's Kentucky only, but it's anywhere in the U.S. It has to be made in the U.S. But, but, but rum doesn't have that it's made everywhere right and and it and it had such great roots in the u.s just as a little bit of a a, a story real quick is when we call when we were colonized as a as a as a country right by england it was really hard for the the people to grow things it was like you know the corn and wheat didn't work in the wet environments and so they struggled and so they started making sugarcane as a as a as a byproduct of a of a, of a 
thing and it, it made sugar, which is a commodity, but it also made molasses. And molasses is what they distill to make rum. And the first rums were really kind of rough. They were overproofed on it, but they were, it was like, I think it was kind of like the original kind of idea on cryptocurrencies. It became a commodity and a currency. And they they could grow their own revenue that could be traded on the market. And so what happened was, is that the King of England got all upset with this. He put a tax on molasses, which started the the whole cry of no taxation without representation and was the trigger for the Revolutionary War. Well, you know, I, you know, what's what's ironic. Way to go, rum. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what's ironic though, I think, you know, rum even goes even further back than that, right? I mean, you know, it, well, it was, starts in the West Indies and yeah, and so yeah, so that. obviously being being West being West Indian myself, uh know a little bit about that 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 sort of the darker um history of rum. Uh but you know, I think the, the reality though is that is that sugarcane, which was which grows like a weed in a lot in many parts of the world um, was a source of this really interesting, very very fascinating spirit that both um, create created heroes um, and and probably um, broke a lot of marriages at one point. <laughs> and so, what's what's interesting about it also is that is that depending on where you go around the world um, as a traveler. And even as a um, uh, as a, a local, you have a relationship with the spirit um, of that geography. So, obviously, if you're from Russia, you grew up drinking rum, uh, drinking vodka, and then you come to the U.S. and then you know everyone's drinking vodka. Martini. And and in, in Greece, it's ouzo or whatever. Every right. place has its play, has its drink. Right. Yeah. And, and, and exactly, what, yeah. What's amazing about the U.S. is that there it's such a, a microcosm. Uh, and, and sort of a solid bowl of various different cultures that these cultures in the U.S. have brought their spirits and in America have created unique cocktails and concoctions and and ways to use those spirits in, in you know in 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 different fashions and and so forth. So it's very so the Americanization of a spirit I think is also very profound. I think that's what you're that's what you're getting at. And so on top. And, and so even in the U.S., and I just love this story because I've lived in, in New York, I've lived in L.A., I've lived in Detroit, I've lived in Florida. And when I'm in New York, I was drinking martinis, um, uh, stirred, not shaken with two olives. And then when I went to Detroit, they were like, what? And so mm -hmm. I had to learn how to drink bourbon because it's a Midwestern <laughs> thing. Yes. And then went down to Miami. I was like, well, I mean, I got it. They don't, they don't sell bourbon. They really sell vodka. If it's a vodka, it's a vodka tonic. And right. but there's rum everywhere because of the Bacardi relationship and the heritage there. And so I was like, like that's when I got into rum. And so and I'm really just beginning to understand the rum as a business, the rum as a flavor, um, not just as an ingredient to a drink. Right. Cocktail. So that's why I'm fascinated about the emergence of a cocktail. I can't honestly, I can't think of a spirit that says California to me. Unless maybe a California spritz. Well, how about a wine cooler? That's what I think. I have to have a wine cooler. <laughs> yeah, uh, not Napa. Bruce Willis on with the, in those wine cooler ads from the '80s, right? Yeah. It's interesting, Alex. You brought up a great point. I think there's two things that I think affect what you end up drinking. One is where you are and the other is who you're with. 
I, I, it can be as easy as as a family generational uh, pull. You know, when you're young and your father roots for the Giants, you're or mother, you're going to eventually root for the Giants. That becomes your team more because it was something you did together, you learned together, you experienced together, and you enjoyed together. It's the same thing with drinking. If you're an Italian family, you're going to be brought up drinking wine at dinner every night, right? That's just that's just normal part of your of, of your culture, and you'll end up drinking and enjoying the, and remembering the the memories as you're drinking of the drink that you drank when you were young, and that becomes your drink. So it must be interesting. Uh, and then over time, I think it's your other career, Dan. It's the marketing that moves somebody from what you used to drink to what you want to drink. For me, for example, you brought up Absolute. That's a great point. Absolute was my vodka. And then because of marketing, I got convinced that Absolute was a low brand and Grey Goose was a high brand. And so I started paying more money for basically the same drink. And then I went from drinking a mixed drink to drinking vodka on the rocks. And I found that Tito's was a better flavor. So there's a real evolution of what you can end up drinking that goes from geography to family, to marketing, to taste. Well, you know, and it's interesting. It's like, one of the things that that we know in being in marketing and also being in the business of, of spirits is that um, people will order at the bar m- more about what it says about them than about that brand, right? You know, so it, even in the sense of you're saying, you know, uh, I I went with uh, Grey Goose because I knew it would reflect on me. I'm getting a I'm I'm ordering a higher class drink, right? I'm ordering a more sophisticated source, right? And so the the whole the whole bit is to create that emotional connection with with a brand. You know, it's like I, I often use the story of um, like Dos Equis, uh beer, right? They were kind of a nondescript beer. They weren't really in leading the category by any matter of means, and they come up with this fictional story about the most interesting man in the world. Right. And I got to give them credit. They told it really well. Right. And, and, and everybody has a story, but it's how you tell it. Well, they went, they rose to the number two position and they didn't change a single thing about their beer or their label or their distribution. So it is, it is, I think, and I, I like what you said, Jamie, about the fact that what you were raised with, it's, it's there, there's such strong emotional connections to what we choose specifically in these types of products and spirits and things like that, because it is heritage. It is, you know, location and it is the moment, you know, um, and, and that's one of the things that I think that, that really, um, because rum is mostly drank on vacation, it's the fun drink, you know? (laughs) Okay. So tell us, so hook hand rum handcrafted, Tell us the story about Hookhand. Like, you're the marketing guy, and I'm sure you got a one hell of a story. Well, you know, so it, it kind of starts out with I, I mentioned the fact my son and his friend and me are the three founders of Hookhand Rum, and they um, they were both bartenders, right? And so they worked at a, a local um, bar in in Dana Point, and they. They were they were big observers, right? And so what would happen is is they started seeing a lot of people coming in with like, hey, you know, you got any rums? What do you what kind of rums do you have? And things like that. And so there was this kind of growing interest in rum. They also found that it's true. It, when people would come in and the party was drinking vodka, it'd be one kind of party. If it was drinking tequila, it was another kind of party. And if they drank rum, it was more fun, right? And so they started to see that there was this growing desire 
for this whole thing about rum. And, and so then they kind of, we need to start a rum company. So then we joined forces and then we started looking at, you know, the way every, all, all kind of brands have a, a story, you know, but within, within the spirits, it's, you know, it's either like it's either heritage or it's recipe or it's a, it's a struggling founder's story, like in Tito's, you know, or it's, you know, one of these things, or it's fictional characters, right? And so we kind of thought, well, we need to, we need to build, uh, first, first off, you got to, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about how we create the rum in a minute, but we wanted to create a brand that would connect at, in, with people at the point when they're at their most human connection. And we know that stories are what connect people together. When we get together, we like to share Hey, I've been up to this, or you'll never believe what I just did, or things like that. So it's always this connection of people. So that's why we kind of positioned this to be an experience brand that's all around the sharing of stories. We started then going, okay, so we've got to make you got you can't get in the game without a good product. So we 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 knew we had a notion in our mind what we wanted. We wanted a mid-range aged, kind of a light amber spirit. We didn't want Blanco. We didn't want the heavy stuff. One that that kind of a broader appeal. We knew we needed to have something that was was brighter. We didn't really like spiced rums or the heavy viscous stuff or the sweet stuff. We wanted something that was a little brighter, lighter, and more premium. So we we went up, joined forces with a company called Ben Spirits up at Bend, Oregon, uh, owned by a guy named Jim Bendis, and we went up there for several weekends in a row, and it was literally in the laboratory, right. With we started with, we knew that Puerto Rico is the rum capital of the world. They make the best rums, right? And they, we, we started with that. We we pulled a a Puerto Rican fresh rum, and then we started looking at how we were aging it. So we aged it, and we we looked at different levels of aging, and we do a thing called flash aging on chips, which accelerates. You don't have to put it in a cask; you literally put it in a vat of of charcoal chips, and then we then would proof it and then we flavored it. And we started looking at the citrus flavors because those really mix well. And we knew that was no one at the time was doing any blood orange. And so we, we tried that. And at first it was like, kind of like, oh, it, would, it was way over, way over flavored, way over, you know, burnt your mouth, the whole thing. <laughs> so we kind of went back and I'd bring it home. My wife would go like, no, this is horrible. Get rid of this stuff. And so finally we went back. But uh, your after- wife was the taster? Oh, she was. <laughs> Wanted to appeal to women, right? And so it's like, and, uh, that's a tough job. It is, especially with the brown spirit, right? So <laughs> she doesn't drink brown spirits. So the uh, so anyway, so we, we finally landed on it. We we used blood orange at a certain level. We lowered the proof to seventy, and we brought in Madagascar vanilla, and it was just like it went like, wow, that's fantastic, right? And we were we really wanted to get a distinct flavor combination, like a like a fire um, ball right with the cinnamon whiskey or a screwball with the peanut butter and whiskey and things so we really wanted a distinctness so the blood orange really worked well and so that's we landed on that and so that's where our um and then we have then evolved all the storylines around that behind that so well how long did it take just to get to the taste that you wanted to go get from let's get started to now we've got the product about four trips to Bend, Oregon for a full weekend each. <laughs> You'd start tasting rum at eight in the morning and by about three in the afternoon, it's like nothing tasted anymore. <laughs> and, and so now, and so now, and by the way, for all the listeners, um, we have to shout out to Mr. Dan Olson, the first guest that ever sent us some swag, sent me <laughs> some samples of your rum, as well as um, some other swag, which was very nice to you. And I'm going to crack open 
crack open so I'm going to be able to taste your rum while we're while we're talking. Right. But I guess at this point, once you have and the disclaimer is that that Jamie is over the age of eighteen. Yes. And uh, although I am driving right now, it is a Tesla, so not to worry that they're driving from. <laughs> yeah, and so. um, <laughs> over the age 18, yeah, that's barely. The other day I was out with somebody and they carded me at the door. I almost kissed a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm younger than your father, but thank you for carding me. Yeah. <clears throat> My point I was going to make is now you've got this product that you're happy with, that you think mm. you can sell. This is where I assume your whole experience and history as a marketer comes into play now to take all that, all that, all that that you've accumulated and build a quote unquote story around this brand. Right. So what yeah. was that story? Cheers, well, by the way. Okay. Cheers. The, um, the story is, um, surrounded around, uh, what do you think, by the way? Delicious. Absolutely <laughs> delicious. I oh, took good. two sips. I can't feel my toes. Send a crate. <laughs> so, well, that's good to hear. The, um, so we we really have we've started um, creating this uh, idea around uh, a character named Bartholomew Scott, right? And so he's a pirate. And he's a man of passion, right? Uh, many passions, but he has one passion that's rum. Loves rum, right? And so he goes and he's on his conquest to get rum, and he basically won't steal gold, won't steal jewels, just rum. And 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 we we there's a story behind what this passion where it got started and things like that. And as a little side thing is, uh, we wanted to make sure that this was really built in mystery. In in 2013, J.J. Abrams did a TED Talk about mystery and how he uses mystery in how he creates his, his scripts. And he had this example he got when he was a kid. He got this thing called the mystery box. And it's just this nondescript box with all these question marks on the outside of it. And he goes, and he's, I've never opened it. It's because it's more powerful to me to imagine what's in it than to ever find out. And he goes, and that's how you really draw in the, the people into a story. So that's why we wanted to make this character, Bartholomew Scott. He's going to be mysterious. He's going to, you're never going to know who he is, know what he looks like, but the legends will be all around him. And there's be stories that trigger all the reasons that you see in him, right? So the reason he stole rum is a story. He had an alias named Hookhand, but he had both hands. And there's a story behind that. He, he flavored all of his rums to market as his own, right? And so he used Blood Orange as his first flavor. And, you know, the story, some people say it's just because he had this love for a woman, you know, and others, maybe it was just the love of Mallorca where the Blood Oranges come from. Who knows? We just know that it makes it delicious. So Spanish it's like- pirate. Yeah. And so the, uh, <laughs> that's true. The, um, so that's- that's really kind of like what we're trying to do. And we, we really want to create an experience brand. So we're not just a rum. We're not just a product and a rum. We really want it to, when it when we're there, it's a different experience. And we will be the brand that brings you that experience. So now when you're launching a new spirit, where do you go first? What are the outlets first? I mean, is it, do you have to kind of get distribution to liquor stores? Are you first trying to do promotions in bars and clubs? How do you go from nothing to somebody knowing that there's this brand out there? Is it bartenders and owners of restaurants around the country that you have to work with? What, what's that. the process? It, it, that's, it's a big job. It's all that. And in order to succeed in this business, you have to have two things. You have to have a strong brand and you have to have distribution. And distribution is very controlled. I mean, this all dates back to prohibition, right? The You can be one of three things. You can be a manufacturer, distiller, or a distributor, or a retailer. 
but you can't be more than one, right? And so if I'm a manufacturer, you know, distiller, I have to then get it into a wholesaler, right? And so lucky for us, we live in a time where there is technology is changing some of that, right? So there's these companies that are coming out that are using disruptive types of apps and things like that, where you don't have to have, you don't have to sell a truckload of your product to a distributor and then let their salespeople sell it. You can be on this app, you have your own salespeople, and you have um, the ability to go in. And so we are able to control our own growth. So we will, we're, we're working with this company that will start in California and the next year we'll go into seven states. But you're right, Jimmy, it isn't just getting it sold. You got to have a bartender strategy. You've got to have a drink strategy. You got to have a way to engage people, right? So, so on that note, you know, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about earlier on the show about, the locations of which you drink your spirit, mm-hmm. right? You, you're on holiday. The first thing you do is you open up a pina colada or something or a strawberry daiquiri. Um, and so the places that you go uh, invoke a, a sense of fun and spirit and thus you open a spirit. And yet the spirit when you open it can also take places. I mean, if you're in your living room and you make yourself a daiquiri, uh, you can feel like you're in the traffics, but you're in your living room. Kind of thing. The drink takes you places, right? In a lot of ways. Sure. Absolutely. Um, an old smoky bourbon, you feel like you're in the, um, an old speakeasy. In, in, a glass in of champagne makes you feel elegant and you're going out to a fancy evening. And Correct. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the work that precedes us um, has been done marketing wise, branding these experiences around spirits, which are quite quite powerful because I think you know our our kids' kids will will still think about these things and these feelings um, about about spirits. So when it comes to living up to that expectation, right? Because now rum has, for better or for worse, built this juggernaut of an experience, right? It's tropics, it's fun, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, for you, right, is it is it the thinking, well, let's just ride this wave up and say, you know, we're going to, the hook hand rum is part of what you know rum is, or are you trying to shift the the perception of rum through through your brand and through the work that you're that you're putting out there because quite frankly i'm sure not everyone knows or even thinks about rum in the bourbon capital the 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 vodka capital the tequila capital in the u.s so how do you get people to think first about rum well i think you know like like you guys were kind of leading on to it's like First off, the rum business in the U.S. is $2.3 billion. So we'd be happy with that. <laughs> you take 10%, no problem. That's, That's it. That's right. That's it. market share is fine by me. So um, it isn't like, I don't think we have to have a big market share steal, right? You know, to go get bourbon drinkers to drink rum. I think that you'll have crossovers because I think people in general like interesting new things, Right. So I think what we're going to be really pushing here is that this is not rum as you expect it to be, right? It it, it can make a great old fashioned, right? It can it can be drink drink straight and neat, just like a good tequila. It could be, you know, and and so there's there is there is we're, this is not just something you would drink on vacation. 
Uh, and so just like, I, I just think that's what we're hoping to do. And we're, we're looking and seeking, like what I was talking about was like, we want to engage people when they're together at gatherings, right? So that's that's kind of where we feel that our location will be, right? Is if we can own that, that location, then that's where we will be best. So on that note, right, I think, okay, so you want to own location. Trust me, I get it. Um, but there's also the the language and the conversation, right? So you may not necessarily want to get the market, own the market share, but in a lot of ways you kind of want to own the conversation share of a sure. of people at a bar, right? So I think that one of the things that, um, that benefited Tito's was that people went into a bar and asked for it. And then, and the bartender says, wow, we don't carry it. Then after, after so many people ask for it, they're like, well, maybe you should, maybe we should buy a case. And then thus, the consumer and the conversation pulled the brand forward into places that it, you know, that they I'm sure probably didn't even expect. So, and a lot of people have a different point of view about it. Some people like Jamie says it tastes great. Other people say it's less filling, right? It's, it's no, there's no, if you have celiac, there's no, you know, there's no gluten gluten It's an American vodka. It's not a Russian I, you know, vodka. I, I don't even know if any of that's true, but like it, it's what people said, and that's all that really matters. And so th- there's the, what types of language and what's the narrative that you'd like for people to refer to Hook Hand when in a bar hanging out with friends? Well, you know, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a, a real perfect answer for that yet, because I think that's going to be crafted by the consumer. Right, like you just said, um, everybody Put it out will have there and let them take. decide. Yeah, yeah, but I think that what I what I like is um, is is we're on, we're we're about stories, right? And so we 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 think that the people that will be attracted to us the first and the most are going to be the people that do like to tell stories, like to hear stories, like to share stories. They're 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 connectors, they're talkers, and so the when they go up to the bar and they say, "I'd like to have uh, you know a hook hand." pina colada or a hook hand mai tai or a hook hand accurate right and they go what what did you just order right you know and they go well, let me tell you this is it's a really and they can then and we give them an ability to to use the storylines to be able to describe that um I, I as in most things in marketing but specifically in alcohol no one buys anything without tasting it so really you know back to what jamie was saying if your bartender's are savvy and they're you work with them and they're like hey i got something you need to try you know it's this is really good let me just pour you a little taste you know and that's the kind of what you'll do is to drive that and then that then starts to get consumers interested in things to get um well it's interesting because uh we're in a uh, you mentioned earlier dan how technology has changed and made it easier in terms of distribution and sourcing and all that there's another area that's changed very much which is the way you reach the consumer these days yes. right yeah going from <clears throat> direct or indirect marketing to experiential marketing to to now influencers right mm-hmm. who are so powerful who, who basically just by using a product or showing a product get that product in front of millions of people who never would have heard or seen that product before. You don't have to figure out what magazine they read or what TV show they're watching to reach them. You can reach them through these influencers. And I'm wondering, uh, and, and you know, and, and we, I guess we always had influencers when I was a kid. Some celebrity used a product, you know, so you saw an ad with Paul Newman smokes these cigarettes, you know, when everybody right. smokes cigarettes. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it was an endorsement. But now these influencers, they can actually show you using the product, tasting the product, their reactions. So it would seem to me that starting a brand, something like this, which is for the fun environment, for the people when you're out and about, when you're sharing experiences with friends, that an influencers might be a great place to go to to expand the visibility of the brand. Yeah, we, we, we have done already a, a ton of what we call like promotional pours where we'll come in and we'll host a party for someone. And, and we've done that for many social influencers already. And it's been quite good for us. That's one of the reasons why down here in Southern California, you'll find that people kind of know who we are and we aren't even sold yet, right? And so um, another thing is that, that I think is interesting that we're doing that, that kind of has happened, but not really in the spirit world. Uh, you'll have, like, if you look at um, the way Jack Daniels has their... Um, what is it? They're, they're Tennessee Walkers, or the, no? It's the uh, it's something, but it's, it's a loyalty program where you end up getting a, a square inch of the distillery that you can have. And there's a there's an island out in 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 the UK that has a a, a Scottish you know Scotch that that you get a square foot of the island if you buy a bottle. So we're we're we want to be all about our customers, and we really want to be about experiences. So we've created a, a program called the Original Crew kind of goes back to a story that we created about Bartholomew that he gave all of his crew members a coin. And when they had this coin, it gave them safe passage and they were able to get around in the protection and it gave them access and stuff like that. So we're letting people come in and buy a coin from us called the original crew. And it's a gold coin and and it, it it's a one-time payment. And then once you buy it, you are in our group for life. And we're going to give you access to everything we do as a VIP give you status in all of what we have, get, send you gifts every year. And there'll be special experiences that you'll be able to get into that no one else will be able to get into at all. Right. And so, and it is this like Uber, Uber source of, of, of loyal fans that we want to build that we're only going to make so many coins. And so we're only going to sell so many across the United States and that's it. And then once we have the original crew, then that will be that will be a, quite an interesting group to be in. I, I got to tell you right now. <laughs> well, I, I want to. I, first of all, I want to get one of those coins. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it also would be a great idea. We had a guy uh, on the show uh, with uh, talking about NFTs and kind of explaining yeah. that business. That sounds like a really sounds like the perfect opportunity for NFT. Um, but I, you know, when you you're talking about Bartholomew Scott and all of the the fantastic adventures that he went on. Um, I would love to be able to see uh, experiences that match. And oh, sure. that, so I want to. I want to get on a on a boat. Uh, maybe a oh, it, it will always be nautical. It will always oh, yeah, be right. on boats. Right, right. <laughs> I, a wooden ship in the in the Caribbean would be wouldn't be a bad idea as long as it's catered. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> <rough>. <laughs> Top but, <laughs> So, but I so I, I love the story. But right? I think that there is a lot we can unpack, uh, continue to um, hopefully um, cases of rum. Mm -hmm. But we, we as we as we think about uh, where the future of spirits, and you think about the future of hook hand and rum in Southern California, we we really it's endless. We really think about yeah. all the things that came out of California that have been. Um, innovated that have been improved upon around the world, uh, technology and all that good stuff. And a really good innovation and creative community in, in California that I'm sure will um, be able to jump on this spirit and really take it to the next level. And I'm and I'm, I'm assuming that you know just by what you're saying, you've already tapped into that and being able to tell story and build out this oh, image yeah. of the brand. I, I before I, I I pass it over to Jamie, I do want to say that. 
Um, you, you made an earlier point about people like Dos Equis and the greatest man uh, uh, in the world and all that, that, that there are characters that were created, but there's also characters that were um, were adjusted, right? The, you know, mm-hmm. the Captain Morgans, the, J- the, the John Jamesons, who were actually individuals that were made that were glorified in a lot of ways to, to be people that they perhaps weren't in real life. But it doesn't really matter because it's clear what's on the bottle. It's it's super cool. And it becomes this I- iconic relationship or connection that people have with the brand which which they can which they can see so i'm really excited to see uh what uh bartholomew scott becomes and how hand rum becomes a everyday brand in a bar near me me too yeah, it's so good. I've question was, uh, <laughs> no, I, I would uh, I would back up everything Alice just said. Um, it sounds like you're on the cusp of uh, of a very exciting adventure. Um, I love the fact that you're approaching it from the rum side. I've I'm almost you're almost can be sick of all the all the celebrities that are pushing a tequila or pushing a vodka. It seems like every celebrity thinks they're going to cash out like Clooney did. But mm. you sound like you're actually building a story. You're building an experience, and it's you're building a taste. And I think you're 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 going to bring rum into that area that vodka and tequila have now um, uh, uh, have now taken over, which is the ability to taste the spirit itself and not have it lost in some kind of a mixed drink, which I think is the history of rum, you know, yes. in the past, you know. Yeah, it's it's the college student drink, <laughs> rum and coke. <laughs> right, a beer or a rum and coke or, or a pina yeah. colada or, a, or a, a daiquiri or something like right. that, right? Yes, yes. So well, we want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show. Guy. Uh, thank you for the taste and the swag. All right. Uh, and we look forward to, uh, I look forward to be able to walk into a bar here in Miami and ordering and sending you a picture of your rum in my glass. Coming 2024 for sure. But 2024 <laughs> is, is your year. And, and Dan, once again, thank you. thank you for coming on the show. I wouldn't get a chance to talk about our working relationship because we used to work together back in, in yeah. California. So we can talk about that in a future episode, but good luck to you. Um, and thank you. Um, just please tell us our, our listeners where they can find hook hand rum. It's at hookhandrum.com. And there you go. All right. Looking forward to seeing you again soon, Dan. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Dan. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.